This is an audio story for the digital edition of Landscape magazine. I'm Lauren Cabrera, and today we're talking about women and plants. Earlier this year, I attended an event at the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, and I heard a panel interview with three women scientists from the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. I was particularly taken with the story of Dr Kelly Shepherd. She's a taxonomist with the Western Australian Herbarium. She touched on how she came to learn about taxonomy and what led her to her studies, and what she learned about the history of women and plants. I knew that women historically collected plants and that women traditionally gathered food and medicine from plants, but I didn't know that the pursuit of scientific study, and indeed botany, was historically associated with men. It piqued my interest and it led me to learn more about this and write an article for the winter edition of Landscope, titled quite aptly, Women and Plants. Here are some audio recordings of Kelly's responses from that panel interview with science communicator Alan Gill that inspired the story. Uh, Welcome, everybody. Um, My name is Alan Gill, and I'm a science communicator within biodiversity and conservation science. Uh, I'll be your host for this morning's International Day of Women and Girls in Science event. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Wajak people uh, as the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting on today. Uh, We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and I'd like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people here today. We're fortunate today to be joined by a panel of three scientists from DBCA as we mark International Day of Women and Girls in Science. Joining us on our panel today is uh, Simone Stridham, um, Catherine Stunich and Kelly Shepard. Could you please give them a warm welcome and round of applause? One of the things that has struck me from talking to all three of you is, as Margaret has highlighted, the different paths that you've taken to get here within your careers. Um, Kelly, you found yourself drawn into a rather niche field of taxonomy. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got there? Did you see yourself becoming a taxonomist when you were in high school or at university? Um, No. So... (laughs) So my job as a taxonomist is to discover, name and describe new species. And I didn't even know this kind of job existed when I was in high school and university. Um, and I fell into it and through a series of opportunities and people kind of taking a chance on me. So uh, I did a double major in botany and zoology at UWA. And when it came to do honours, I was sort of leaning towards um, zoology, but to be honest, it was an all-male faculty and quite misogynistic. And the people in botany were just so much nicer. So I did botany honours. And it was a great decision because that year a new um, staff member started, Jenny Chappell, and she ended up um, employing me after I'd finished honours and she'd got a taxonomy grant. And it was amazing. I just loved it. It was the most fantastic experience. Um, But unfortunately that grant ran out um, eventually and there were no job opportunities. So I grabbed my backpack and got a one-way ticket to Santiago, Chile, as you do. Um, So I kind of backpacked all the way up eventually to Canada and then lived there for 18 months and eventually decided I should come home. So I landed a job with a friend at her environmental consultancy and I didn't really like it. But one Sunday evening, Terry McFarlane, who's actually sitting up at that um, morning tea table, (laughs) rang me and I may have been hungover at the time, I won't confess... And he said, oh, there's this really great PhD scholarship on offer. Are you interested? 
So on Monday, I kind of sent my CV. Wednesday, I got an interview. Friday, I got offered it and I accepted. And I had no idea what I was getting into. It was probably a good thing because I was... Uh, the PhD scholarship was to do taxonomy and systematics of Australian samphires. And these are arguably the worst plant group in Australia <laughs> to work on. I didn't know, but uh, I soon learnt. Um, so, yes, through the ups and downs of my PhD, and I came to the end of my scholarship and I was trying to write up my final paper and I'd run out of money. And I was at morning tea at the department and Ziggy Krauss from Kings Park plonked down next to me and said, oh, are you looking for some work? I need someone with your skills. <laughs> so off I went to Kings Park, uh, worked full-time and rode up in the evenings. And that was a great project again. Uh, and then I successfully got a um, postdoc scholarship that was funded through Q. But at the exact same time, um, Terry, yet again, <laughs> rang and said, oh, we're desperate. We, there's a six-month contract to do taxonomy here at the herbarium. Are you interested? And it was a really hard decision because the postdoc was a lot longer than that. It was only, you know, uh, but it was on seeds and I wasn't as interested in seeds as I was in taxonomy. So I took a chance and that six months in 2006 is I'm still here. So it's been a, a convoluted journey, but I've been really lucky, I guess, um, to have these opportunities. But I think, like Margaret said, a lot of us have that sort of career. It sort of twists and turns, but, yeah, I've been really lucky. What's that experience like as a taxonomist when you realise that you're looking at what could be a new species that nobody has identified before? Uh, if it happens on a Friday afternoon, it's like, oh, not another one. But... Uh, the timing's never perfect. Yeah, is it? it's, it's kind of that, oh gosh, will this ever end? I do know I'll never ha run out of things to do, but it is, you can't describe it. It's like treasure hunting, Eureka. Uh, I think um, I'm problem solving. I think a lot of scientists love problem solving, and when it all comes together and you really realise it's a new thing, it's really exciting. And coupled often, these things are often rare, and so that chance of um, highlighting it, knowing that. Um, bring it to light, that people then have a chance to conserve it. It's really, yeah, it's great. I do find it really fascinating um, when we do reflect and we find that there are these pivot points um, throughout our studies that offer different opportunities in, in, in taking a path down a career. And sometimes you've just got to throw caution to the wind and give it a crack and see where it will take you. <laughs> The International Day of Women and Girls in Science was declared in 2015 by the United Nations General Assembly because it's noted that full participation in and access to all disciplines of science by women is essential to meet the sustainable development goals. Seven years might not seem like such a long time, but I guess if we reflect on what might have changed since that day is established, where do you as a panel see that progress um, has been made? What about yourself, Kelly? Um, well, I think in botany there's always been a lot of women and I think maybe that's historically it was okay for women to collect plants. You know, they had um, herb law and, and it was part of their medicine and, and looking after their families and even in Victorian England it was, you know, trendy for wealthy women to have herbaria, little, you know, collect plants and press them. But as always, there's a high number of women in the undergraduate, but it wasn't translating into senior roles. And that coupled with the fact that, you know, taxonomists pretty much die in their role. Like, once someone gets a job, they're there and they'll stay even in retirement. So there's it's a really... It's because they love it so much, it. isn't it? Yeah. I think it's part of the preservation system. <laughs> it's just... They seem that, to get that, preserved. That, that good so there's a really low air. staff turnover and that was keeping um, perhaps the statistical ratio skewed towards men. But there's definitely a, a lot more transition and you're seeing that in our own department. 
um, with, with new, new roles becoming available. You know, our science management team's got more women than it ever has before. So I think with more turnover, we're having opportunities for women to go for these positions, perhaps mm. that they were locked out of for a long time. Yeah. I think that's a really good observation. Um, and I think across the board that here, it's almost like a rising tide. So a lot of, uh, a lot of work and effort has been put into encouraging young women and young girls to study science throughout primary, secondary, tertiary studies, and we're seeing that starting to flow through into industry and, and percolate through to these higher levels of management. And particularly on having those um, women in senior positions and, and in role model um, positions. Kelly, growing up, uh, it was more your family that provided your encouragement, I believe? Yeah, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s in the central wheat belt um, south of Shackleton, actually right where those horrible fires were this week. And it was actually my dad. So um, my dad was uh, Jim Shepherd, um, was a very unusual person in that he was a raving feminist, <laughs> which is unusual for a farmer. So he did two degrees. He studied forestry in Canberra and then came back and did agriculture um, at UWA here. And he's, he, he's um, fascinated by sheep genetics. And his hero was Dr Helen Newton-Turner, who was the world authority on sheep genetics, and she worked at CSIRO. And so Dad became really interested and was one of the first farmers um, to introduce scientific measurement into sheep breeding. And he was obsessively, <laughs> would measure everything and to select the best rams and the best ewes. And um, he felt women were uh, better than men in many respects, particularly in fields like sheep husbandry. He felt they were um, more accurate and more caring, and he hired a sheep manager in the late 70s who was a female, which I think is um, highly unusual. And it also meant that my sister and I were treated exactly the same as my brother, and we were all free labour. So I grew up doing science without even realising it. Sort of as soon as I could write, I had a clipboard in my hand, and I was down the sheep yards. Dad would call out a sheep tag number, and then whatever thing he was measuring, I'd write down, and then I'd see him doing all the statistics afterwards um, to select the top ones and then the bottom ones would get culled. And I didn't realise how unusual this was, but I went to a school reunion decades later and a school friend of mine came up to me and she goes, oh, I still remember that school holidays when we were 14. So I invited this day girl to come and stay with us and my dad thought, oh, more free labour. So um, off we trotted down to the sheepyards to do what he called knacker scoring and she had the clipboard this time and I had these wooden beads around my neck of varying sizes with different numbers on them. And she was telling this group of people at this school reunion. And then Kelly would, she'd lean down behind the sheep and lay her head on its back. And then she'd fiddle around behind it. And then she'd fiddle around with the beads and call out a number. And so, <laughs> because Dad worked out or had read that uh, the size of the testicles was directly correlated to the amount of semen that was produced and you wanted bigger testicles. And what was more horrifying is when I brought a boyfriend home from university and <laughs> Dad brought out the orchidometer, which is what it's called, I didn't know, and declared that he'd be a cull. So um, I was doing science all the time and I learnt that it's actually hard work and it's boring and you have to stick at it and you have to do it under difficult conditions. And it was the best training and he was... That and just his, like, women can do anything attitude. And my mum was also really supportive as well. She was a midwife. Um, yeah, so there was no doubt I was going to go on to, u to university. It was, yeah, super great way to grow up. And after that experience, I can see why botany um, appeals. <laughs> well, the problem was I didn't realise that this was unusual. Like, for me, it was normal. So maybe that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly something to be said about um, normalising... 
um, participation in, in science and work and, and knowing that you can um, strive and, and achieve anything that you want to do out there. I think that's a really nice reflection on um, those role models and support and mentors that that, that are there, both men and women, who um, for many have blazed a path that have made the road a little bit easier for others to come, but have also just offered those little bits of advice that you might not have known at the time, but now you go, oh, that was a really, a really cool thing that I needed to know. And I think that as we reflect on where we are on International Day of Women and Girls in Science, progress does seem to be made, even in that short interceding time since the day was declared, we honour the past and we embrace a future where the barriers to participation have largely been dismantled. Um, one of the things that I would like to touch on before we do wrap up today is some advice. So when I met up with all three of you and, and had a chat through your career, one of the things I did ask you is, what advice would you give to a younger self um, or to a young woman or girl thinking of starting a career in, in science today? Where, where would you go? What advice would you give? Kelly. Um, I think it's a really good question. I, th I think I wouldn't um, tell myself to make any different decisions. I think the decisions I've made have helped me get where I am here, which is great. But I think I'd, I'd say to be kinder to myself. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and was very anxious at times. So I think, yeah, be kinder and, and also it would have been nice to hear that everything will work out. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming to the conclusion of our time and our morning tea is out there, so I won't hold you too much more. Um, I really would like to thank Simone, Catherine and Kelly for agreeing to take part in the discussion, sharing their experiences um, and reflections on the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, not just with me, but with all of you here today as well. Um, and could you please join me in thanking Simone, Catherine and Kelly for coming along today. That brings us to the end of the formalities for today. Please stay and enjoy some morning tea, have a chat and a conversation and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening. As I researched my article, I learnt that myth and literature are filled with associations between women, flowers and gardens. Nature's often thought to have a powerful feminine energy. We know Flora is a Roman goddess that embodies nature, and her name represents all plant life. And let's not forget Mother Nature and Mother Earth. What I didn't know is that this trope about nature being personified as female is considered by some feminists to mean women are passive and therefore oppressed. If nature is feelings and instincts, then its opposite, men, are logical and factual and reasonable. But cultural ecofeminists contend that the trope is a powerful connection that should be embraced and celebrated. If you want to read about how Western Australia's early female botanists, taxonomists, plant illustrators and bush medicine experts embrace this connection, I encourage you to read Women and Plants, which features on page 39 of the winter edition of Landscape magazine, out now. This audio story was brought to you by Landscape Magazine, published by Western Australia's Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. For more information and to subscribe to the print edition of the magazine, visit shop.dbca.wa.gov.au.